This is WMNF Tampa. Stay tuned for True Talk. Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer. Summer is traveling, and um, today, well, today's a good day, um, with the exception of that my uh, guest uh, had an issue and can't be on. So um, I'm going to turn this into a, um, a call-in show. And um, we've done this from time to time. I, I guess uh, it's called Ask a Muslim segment of the True Talk show. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Ahmed Badir. I'm an American uh, who happens to be Muslim. I'm also uh, Arab. I'm also Egyptian-American. So I carry several identities. They're not mutually exclusive. You can be all those things at the same time. I'm also uh, a father, a man, you know, a son. So we all carry these identities. For some reason, you know, people don't like... Certain people don't like hyphenated identities like African-American or Arab-American or Jewish-American. They say that, you know, there's only one type of America or one type. You should just be American. What does that mean to just be American? Um, there's a lot of diversity in America. 
um, there are people from different nationalities, different ethnicities, uh, different uh, national origins. So when you just say just be American, yeah, that's uh, never really res. I mean, by being, you know, black American, by being black American, you're also American. That's just that's part of America. By being uh, Muslim American or Christian American or Jewish American, um, that's what America is about, to embrace that type of diversity, to embrace uh, who you are, you know, for the people and by the people, a country for all people, and not just for one specific type of people. I don't know if you'll uh, agree with that or not. Um, uh, I hope you do. Um, I think that's what this station is about, to embrace this uh Diversity, uh, at, you know, and at WMF, um, I believe, and I think others share the same perspective that we try to reflect the, you know, our station wants to look like the community that we live in, and that's something that's great that uh, few other uh, media outlets uh, are actually doing. We're actually practicing it. So this segment, Ask the Muslim, Ask a Muslim, I am the Muslim. I'm not an expert on everything, but <clears throat> apparently there is a Wikipedia page out there about me that says I'm an expert on Islam. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I was actually born in Egypt. Um, Egypt, of course, is a um, country in uh, northeast Africa. It's also part of the Middle East. It's part of the Arab world. It's um, on uh, the Mediterranean Sea as well as the the Red Sea. It's you know they call it. Uh, it has an ancient civilization. Egyptian civilization has survived. It's it's interesting when I when I moved to this country and I've you know talked about this before. And I came here with my parents. You know they didn't ask my permission to come to. You know, hey, do you want to go to America? You know, I was born there, and I was there until like fourth grade. And I remember my parents telling me that, hey, we're going to uh, to the U.S., and I didn't really know much about it except what I saw on television uh, in in Egypt. And we only had like two television channels, Channel One and Channel Two. And um, what I saw about America was what was, I guess, uh, put on the programming there. Some, I think, what would be described as soap operas. I think it was Dallas or something. I didn't really know what's going on, but it was people that didn't look like me. Um, blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, they look very uh, wealthy. They have big cars. Uh, different type of homes, and they had all these weird relationships and people lying to each other. And and um, uh, I don't know, murder and whatever else. And that's the kind of idea that I had about America from those kind of shows. And then I came to America, and then what I saw is completely different. Well, um, yeah, but it came in phases, so... So it was uh, it was different, and then you know when I came to the U.S. and uh, went to different states, I noticed, or went to different neighborhoods or communities, I noticed that there are differences of the people, and it wasn't what was being portrayed um, 
on screen. But one thing that I, you know, I didn't necessarily struggle with, but I found surprising how little my classmates knew about uh, Egypt. I mean, yeah, I, I what I knew about America, I knew that it was a country, it exists, that, you know, its geography, its location. Um, I didn't know much about its people, but, you know, maybe some of its history, but I didn't... Uh, what what was surprising to me when I arrived is how it was so different from what was being portrayed on television. And then, um, but I was surprised that my classmates knew nothing about, you know, Egypt. And first of all, they thought, you know, I'm from ancient Egypt, like, you know, from the uh, the Pharaoh's time. They thought that, that there's no more Egypt because I guess they stopped learning about it after ancient Egypt. And the other things they had, you know, these stereotypes, like, you know, then they ask questions, did you live in a pyramid? Did you ride a camel to school? That kind of stuff. That was so bizarre. And I spent so much time trying to educate or like, you know, tell them, you know, we actually live in apartments and houses and we have cars and there's a, you know, modern or current Egypt. Um, Sometimes I got frustrated with it and just, uh, you know, went along and said, yeah, I did have a camel and that's how I got to school. Um, But I realized that most of the perceptions they had about the Arab world, about Egypt, uh, was from what they were watching on their TV, just like what I was watching on my television. And the movies that they had that included Arabs or Egyptians or Muslims were not very flattering. Uh, to Muslims uh, or to Arabs. And whenever I try to tell them what my beliefs were, they didn't believe that I believed in the same God, that, you know, I believed in a invisible <clears throat> super being or God that, you know, they thought I worshipped uh, cows or animals or, or idols. Um, so it was it was interesting that I found myself at an early age being some sort of, um, I don't know, ambassador or communicator explaining uh, who I am and what we stand for. But growing up and even until today, I run across or come across people all the time and say, I know very little about your people. I know very little about your um, culture. I know, you know, I don't know much. I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, when I think of, and, and, you know, same thing to you, listener, you're listening to my voice right now. I'm telling you I'm Muslim. Um, a Muslim is a person who practices Islam or believes in Islam or their religion is Islam. Islam is the religion. Muslim is the person who practices or is a follower of that religion. So if I tell you I'm a Muslim, um, I practice Islam, you know, what comes to mind? You know, right now, what words, images come to mind when I say that? And uh, oftentimes when I do this exercise or when I used to do this exercise with people, um, especially in the past, you know, 20 years, they'd often say, you know, the T word, (laughs) terrorism comes to mind. Um, Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, these type of, uh, you know, violent and evil groups come to mind. It's not necessarily something that's uh, peaceful. When in fact, Islam means peace. Islam is an Arabic word. It means, uh, it means peace. It comes from peace. Um, 
So salam means peace. Just like in the Hebrew, they say shalom. Shalom, that's, you know, that's peace. In Arabic, it's salam. So uh, it's also our greeting when we see one another. It's actually what we say to each other all the time, even if, you know, I call somebody. Yeah, they say, for short, they say salam or they say salam alaikum, peace be upon you. And so we always greet each other in peace. And um, the purpose of the religion is to find peace. Not peace as far as like necessarily, not only just peace with other countries or other tribes or other nations, but even peace within oneself. And the way that, you know, we learn it, we learned what that kind of peace means. It means by following God's will or submitting to God's will, we will find peace. And that's what it means, uh, Islam. So it's different from Christianity where Christianity, as far as the, you know, the language is concerned uh, or the, the label uh, or a Christian is a, is a follower of Christianity, and Christianity comes from the word of Christ. So it's named after Christ. Judaism is named after Jude, you know, Judah. It's a tribe, Judaism. Um, so our, even though our, our faith, our prophet is Muhammad, that we're not, we're not called Muhammadans. We're not the, our religion is not named after a person. Our religion is named... It's an act, an act of Islam, to be submitting to the will of God. That's what it means to be a Muslim. Our phone number is 813-239-9663. This is the Ask a Muslim segment of the True Talk radio show. I happen to be the Muslim. Um, I'm also, I happen to be the host of the show. I've been hosting the show now for 20 years. It's so crazy to think that I've been at the station for 20 years. I feel like I'm still 20 years old. I don't know. I feel like I'm a younger person in an old person's body. Well, not that I wouldn't, you know, it's all relative, I guess. Uh, somebody sent, you can also text us. I actually just forgot our text line. I'm going to get that for you. But you can call, oh, send a text to 813-433-0885, 833 or you can call us at 813-239-9663. Frank is here to answer your calls and then pass them on to me. So um, a question came in over text saying, are there atheists in Islam that believes that every being, every creature, every living thing has a spirit? Are there atheists in Islam that believes? I didn't think atheists believe. Maybe I'm reading your question wrong. That The question is written as, are there atheists in Islam, period, 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 that believes that every being, every creature, every living thing has a spirit? I don't, I don't know if that's what atheists believe, is it? Do atheists believe that everything, every creature has a spirit? I didn't know. Yeah, so that doesn't, but we believe that every creature and every creation has a spirit. We just believe that uh, an almighty being for, you know, in English, the name that the humans attribute to that being is God. In Arabic, it's Allah. In different languages, they have different words for this being. 
you know, nowadays in current times, they say, you know, it's Mother Nature. It feels like Mother Nature is just a substitute for not saying the word God. Um, And when we say that, you know, I worship Allah, it doesn't mean I worship a different being than God or the God of Jesus or the God of Mary or the God of Moses or... It's for us. It's the same God. It's there's only one. It's just in different languages they call. He's called by different things. Uh, but that God is uh, the difference between Muslims and Christians. And our concept of God is similar to the Jewish uh, faith, Judaism, that this being is uh, not human. You know, he's a superior being that he's um, never been gotten. And neither and does not beget, so he's not born. He doesn't give birth. He's not a father. You know, he's not a son. It's just different than our creation. Um, and there's specific, you know, chapters in the Quran that describe that over and over. That you know, he's unlike us. We use the word. He also doesn't have a gender. He's not a female or a male. But for lack of better, you know, for use of language. Um, we is described in the masculine, but it doesn't mean that God is a male. And we also don't believe, so and the difference between um, Islam and Christianity is that the identity and the nature of Jesus, for us, Jesus did exist, and we believe in Jesus, and we believe in uh, his virgin birth uh, from Mary, but we don't believe that Jesus is God or the Son of God or one in a trinity. And that's the difference. For us, Jesus is the same as Moses, is the same as Muhammad, is the same as Abraham, and the same as Adam. In fact, in the Quran, uh, God says, because people were asking, well, isn't Jesus special that he's just born of one parent, you know, a mother without a father? And God in the Quran answers that and says, Jesus is like Adam. I created him from a woman, and I created Adam out of nothing, out of dust, so well, what's more difficult to actually do if you think about it is it to create a human being if you know if you believe that from dust from nothing or to create a human being from one parent i mean now a woman can go and 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 um, get iv ivf and and have a child without a a father of course you have to have a sperm donor but it's still you know, there's technology that somehow it can happen um, without intercourse necessarily. So obviously what's more difficult is to create a being like Adam. So if you believe that God created Adam out of dust, then why do you think that would be difficult to create Jesus out of uh, a virgin woman? So um, another message, I think there's a follow-up to the message, uh, are there atheists in Islam? Oh, are there pagans? No. To be a Muslim, you have to believe in just the oneness of God. So Muslims, in fact, Islam is very anti-pagan and anti-idolatry. Like when it first arrived on the scene in Arabia, um to Muhammad, you know, people in Arabia at the time in that part in, in, in a town called Mecca, they believed in a higher being, a God, but they thought that that God is so remote, so far that they need many 
gods to reach that god to intercede so they erected all these idols out of you know like stone and they gave them different names and they would pray to those idols uh, and make offerings to those idols in hope that they would have favor with the god but they thought they can't reach that god directly so they had like some something like 360 different idols erected and they would go depending on what your needs were and what you were, you know, asking for, you'd go to these different mini gods, which were really just made out of stone. And uh, Islam came to uh, abolish that, and it started with Muhammad. And when we say Muhammad, uh, for Muslims, we say peace be upon him. May God have peace on him. Um, Muhammad had died already. He's a human being, but God made him into a prophet and a messenger to deliver a message from God. Muslims also believe in that God created a different type of being called angels, uh, like Gabriel um, is the archangel that is in charge of all these other angels, and uh, Michael, the same ones that are mentioned in the Bible. And there are many others that have different roles. But Gabriel, had he's basically the um, communication from God to the prophets and messengers. So when God, this is again from the Muslim perspective and the Muslim belief, when God needed to communicate with Moses or Abraham or any of his prophets, he didn't talk to them directly with the exception of, I think Moses, uh, he spoke to God directly and possibly Abraham, uh, according to our beliefs. But uh, to send scripture, to send like the Torah, God sent Gabriel to deliver the message to the prophets. And uh, these um, angels could appear in the form of a human being or take on different, um, I guess, presentation. And they would deliver deliver the script or the, the words, the sacred words from God to these prophets or messengers. And then they would share it. Uh, with others, uh, with their followers. So that's how the Quran was compiled. It was basically the words of God sent to Muhammad by Gabriel, and it eventually became uh, the Quran. It was revealed, it started being revealed to Muhammad when he was 40 years old, and it ended when he died at 63. So for a period of 23 years, that's how long it took for the Quran to be compiled. It's not Muhammad's words. We believe they're God's words given to Muhammad, and his job was just to share it with his followers. So, no, uh, so one of the first things that God made clear is that these idols are fake gods and they are not to be worshiped, and it's the biggest sin. You know, there are, of course, you know, stealing is a sin, murder is a sin, you know, um, there are many sins, but the greatest and worst sin is to. Uh, one, disbelieve in God's existence. And the other one is to um, give partners to God, like make others equal to God or to share in God's divinity. Um, Ricky is um, from uh, Tampa, and he's uh, going to come on the air now. Ricky, go ahead. You're on True Talk, and it's the Ask a Muslim segment. Yeah. Uh, my, 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 my uh, concern is a little bit different. I'm going back to the show last week. Well, I had this guy on, and y'all was talking. I guess I caught the the, the early beginning of it when you was talking about the re-election of being uh, uh well, the new the new prime minister of Israel, Netanyahu. Yeah, Netanyahu. And yeah. y'all got into this thing, which I think was a false narrative, 
where y'all start getting into Akeem Jeffrey, the new uh, Democratic House leader, and how y'all falsely made it uh, that he was responsible for the Israel occupation. No, that was not that's, that. Never happened. I don't know what show you were listening to. Your show. I no. Mean, I listened to it again. Yeah, listen and, to it again. And you need to listen because you falsely accuse him of uh, of uh, placate Israel, which he's a politician. He probably did, but every president since the uh, uh, since Israel was uh, made a state in 1945 or so has did the same thing and more. Does that make it okay? Well, it's. The whole the whole situation is not okay. No, that's all we were saying. Yeah, the whole situation. But Hakeem Jeffrey yeah. is not responsible, and he he won't be responsible for it continually. And it, that's how y'all pointed. No, y'all made a speech of what he said. Y'all talked about a law he made, and it seemed if if you didn't know anything about Israel, and if you didn't know anything about Hakeem Jeffrey, Jeffrey. You would think he would be responsible for that situation. That's maybe that's that's your takeaway from that. But Hakeem Jeffries, we played his own words. He is more to the right and more pro-Israel than Biden and Pelosi. That's what the show was about. And um, it didn't say that Hakeem Jeffries is responsible for the occupation. Uh, definitely, he's not responsible for that. But. Uh, if he continues in that rhetoric, he's providing cover for the occupation of uh, Palestinians, which is illegal. So we would expect more from Hakeem uh, Jeffries. And, um, you know, thank you for your call, Ricky. I would urge you to listen to that segment again. In fact, maybe we'll find it and we'll play it again for you. Uh, Nav from Tampa, you're on the air. Hello, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I have a question about people that follow Islam. And I think a lot of uh, people might be, are not aware that the vast majority of victims from Islamic extremism and Islamic terrorism are Muslims themselves. They're the biggest victims in all of this. So the question I have is why is it in... Um, well, like where Islam extremism exists, it doesn't really exist in North America or Europe, but say like in Afghanistan, Iraq, um, how is it that the small minority of extremists are able to hijack the whole community and kind of set the narrative like for the whole, basically for the whole world? And and I just, because I'm, I'm convinced that the people that are very extreme, there may be two, three percent of the Muslim population, and then you know, ninety-five, ninety-seven percent of Muslims are you know peace-loving, you know, just want the basic things that everyone else wants, but yet they get painted with that one brush. And right. So I'm just curious, like you know, what do you think the answer Muslims? is? Go ahead. Sorry. What do you think the answer is? I'm not sure if it's fair that they themselves, like in the countries like Afghanistan and Iraq, that they themselves are afraid to speak out? Because in a way, it's a form of tyranny. Because, you know, they're... they're I mean, when you say, how do you know they're not speaking out? Well, you, they don't seem to be on the media. Are you there? No. Okay, so they don't seem to be on the media. So do they control the media? Like, they're not... So the part of the problem is the perceptions that people have about Muslims is based on what the media shows us. The, 
the CNN, Fox News, you know, all the different stations or what the movies and, you know, TV shows show us and what the politicians talk about. So if, if all we see on television are violent Muslims and the ones like the ISIS and the crazies and the fanatics who actually don't represent Islam and are not and are practicing and violating all the tenets of the faith, but that's what the media shows to, chooses to highlight. It doesn't mean that the other people are silent. It just means that that's you know the media is showing that part because you know as they say, uh, what bleeds leads, and if these people. Right. As small as they are, are creating all the you know some violence. Then that's what the media is going to lead with. There are Muslims, many Muslims that are against this, and as you said, the majority of the victims of these terrorist groups are actually Muslims there that are speaking out against them. Um, but um, and I don't like to use the word uh, Islamic terrorism or Islamic you know violence because they're actually they're not doing it. Uh, because of Islam. Islam doesn't tell them to do that. They're actually violating the faith. Uh, they're doing it for their own political agenda. Some of them may use religious rhetoric, but if you're actually, like for example, um, there are uh, mass, you know, there's you know people that do mass shootings in this country. None of them are Muslim. They're all, for the most part, with the exception of, I think, the Pulse nightclub shooting, uh, which was a horrific, uh, you know, uh, uh, shooting that took place. Most of these shootings are happening across the country, are done by, you know, uh, Christian people. Nobody's saying these are Christian extremists, though, because here in America, we know what Christianity stands for. And if the media starts calling these people all these Christian extremists, and a, a Christian extremist went into, you know, a school today and killed so many people, or a Christian extremist, white Christian extremists went to a black church and killed these people, people would not, would be very upset by it and would, you know, start protesting the media and say, well, they have nothing to do with Christianity, and rightfully so, uh, because people know what Christianity is and know that, you know, Christianity is not about that. But because most Americans don't know what Islam is, so uh, they see what's happening on the media and they start believing it. And I think that's kind of the problem. Yeah, no, that's true. But also, uh, to counteract your argument, you know, the vast majority of, you know, school shooters and you know, all these things, horrible events that happen all over the world, it's very rare that the person sharing out would, you know, do it in the name of religion, whether it's Christianity or some other, you know, usually they, they're mental cases and they don't have a agenda or if they do it's got something to do with you know gun rights or like what i'm trying to say they don't they don't bring the word of christ or christianity into their argument as opposed to islamic terrorists which i agree with you they're probably hijacking the religion but yeah but they, they, the, 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 the difference is in it's about the lingo to uh in that part of the world islam is very much part of the fabric of uh, right. the community so if you don't use that kind of language then um then uh, it doesn't mean just because they use that language or they're invoking it that they actually are religious themselves. And yeah, there are, and it's interesting that you would say that, well, these are mental cases. Yeah, sure. Whenever there are white people shooting up a place or a church in America, yeah, they're a mental case. But whenever it's a Muslim, they're never mental. They're always extremist and they're Islamic extremists. And that's kind of the brainwashing that the media has us believing that, you know, only Muslims can be religious terrorists. 
despite the fact that, you know, there was a huge shooting that took place in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. I don't know if you heard about it, but this was a guy that went inside of a mosque and killed 49 people. And he was very much invoking religion. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, that was a straight out, straight up hate crime. Oh, yeah, exactly. So anytime you target communities, uh, like that, you know, uh, it happens, but the media doesn't, you know, doesn't highlight that. And they don't use the language as Christian extremists. There are in uh, Israel, there are very extreme, uh, Jewish groups that are not within the mainstream. In fact, the Israeli government puts them on terrorism uh, lists, but they don't call them, you know, Jewish extremists. Here, right here in Tampa Bay, one of the first cases that, you know, one of the reasons why I started becoming more involved in the community is my mosque in 2002 was targeted by a podiatrist, of all people. His name was Goldstein. You can look him up, Goldstein. Uh, I think his name was Robert Goldstein. And he had a plan to uh, blow up like up to 50 Islamic centers in the Tampa Bay area. And the police uh, caught him beforehand because of a domestic dispute that he had with his wife. She told me he has guns and bombs in the house. They went in, they did a search, and they found a manifesto that says, kill all the ragheads at this Islamic center. The media locally never called him a Jewish extremist, even though he invoked a lot of stuff about Judaism in his manifesto. So the media has a lot to do with that. Uh, but um, thank you so much for calling in. You make uh, some, you know, yeah, it is in a way hijacked, but the media allows for that hijacking to take place because it fits a narrative that the media wants to put out there that somehow you should be scared of these Muslims. And of course, um, that's not happening here locally, but it impacts us. So the neighbors start looking at Muslims with like, oh, should I be worried about these people? And then shows like 24 that had, you know, a, a character on there that was basically a sleeper agent, a, a, a some sort of terrorist pretending to be a nice, you know, Muslim housewife or Muslim family, but they really mean to do evil. So when you have shows like that going nonstop on television, um, and this even predates 9-11. You know, shows like, um, what are some of those shows? Uh, well, I'll pull them up. But there, there was a book that's called A Thousand, One Thousand and One Real Bad Arabs. And the word real, instead of R-E-A-L, it's R-E-E-L, like as a film reel. And it follows like basically a thousand movies in Hollywood that they put together that depicts... Uh, Arabs and Muslims as these evil monsters or, you know, these, you know, filthy, rich uh, sheikhs that are womanizers and stuff. That shapes the mind. And I remember, like, you know, as a fifth grader in, uh, I went, you know, I was playing in the playground as a fifth grader and I was just learning English. English was not my first language. I actually, in, 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 in Egypt where I grew up, uh, I went to a French school, so I, I understood, uh, I spoke Arabic and French. Not so much French anymore because, I, you know, they say if you uh, don't use it, you lose it. But I remember my brothers and I going to the, like, the local park and interacting with the kids there. And they saw us and then they would, like, make fun or they would say things. Of course, we didn't really understand what they were saying. And, um, and then when we, you know, got, like, playing with them and stuff, one of the kids, you know, called me 
a camel jockey. I'm like, what's a camel jockey? And then I hear, I see the other kids laughing at it. So I'd call him a camel jockey and, and then they would be confused. Like, no, you can't call me that because I was just saying back what he said, just because I thought, Hey, that would make them laugh. They also called me the N word, like but sand. And I didn't understand what that meant. And then later on, I, you know, discovered that these are words that are used in different movies that they, you know, uh, picked it up from there, and that shapes those stereotypes. And um, you know, it led to some. Actually, when I remember one time, I think my brothers and I we were in the park, and they did this ambush. These kids, and they threw eggs at us. Um, after that, we, you know, I got in a couple of fights with some of these kids, and then they stopped messing with me later. But um, you know, once I, you know can command the language and stuff, that stuff uh, slowed down. But early on, you know, there was some bullying. And of course, it didn't help because my... It also stopped because I got bigger and I started being being bigger than the other kids. So that also stopped. Um, Anyway, I digress because just to say that these types of things have an impact, even on children, to shape the narratives and what they, how they view the rest of the world and these stereotypes. So when you call in and say, oh, you know, well, why aren't more Muslims doing more? Well, they are doing. And they're the ones on the front lines fighting these terrorists. And a lot of it is actually these people are not acting out of, because of the religion tells them to do so. It's because those same countries are being bombed and occupied by foreign countries. So they use religious rhetoric to push back or because there's a, a vacuum of security, then those uh, groups with an agenda take advantage of that and exploit it. Uh, but definitely, that's uh, Muslims are the first victims of that. And they're the ones that are dying, both from the bombardment from uh, the United States and their allies, as well as the terrorists that are you know, um, using the opportunity or the... You know, taking advantage uh, to try to take control, like groups like ISIS and stuff. Our phone number is 813-239-9663. Um, or you can email us at dj at wmnf.org. Or you can also text us at 813-433-0885. Um, I think Hakeem Jeffries deserves another segment after that caller earlier because he definitely misunderstood what we were trying to say. Uh, he's not responsible for the occupation, but he's definitely supporting it. And he's supporting the occupation and he is providing cover for the, you know, Israeli occupation, which is a disappointment. And um, uh, somebody of his background should know better about people that are oppressed. Let's see, uh, response to the caller. Rose writes in, please remind the caller who thinks shooters in the U.S. aren't religious terrorists of the following bombings and killings at abortion clinics or racists who shoot people of color. Many of these people use the name of Christ to justify their insane actions. Anything can be called insane because this really means outside of the norm. If uh, people think we don't have white terrorists in the U.S. They are kidding themselves all the best. And that is from Rose. Right. Uh, terrorists and violent criminals come in all colors and all backgrounds. But for some reason, the media has been you know, systematically and consistently just highlighting the Muslim terrorists you know, over and over and over Um and ignoring other threats. Uh, and now it's been institutionalized. It's just, you know, you, 
when when you say the word Islam to somebody, they think of this type of Al Qaeda. They think of um, I'm not saying everybody, but you know, a, a big portion of the United States. And politicians misuse that too at time of election. I remember in 2008 when President Obama was running, and of course Barack Obama, his middle name is Hussein, and you know his opponents uh, highlighted that the most. One thing that people forget that the first uh, politician or, or opponent that highlighted Obama's Muslim roots was actually Hillary Clinton's campaign. It was Hillary Clinton's campaign that released a photo of Obama wearing some sort of turban on his trip to Africa. It was Hillary Clinton's campaign that was trying to just put out there this whisper smear or that, you know, that's somehow a smear that, you know, that his father is a Muslim, you know, that somehow he can't be trusted. Um, and it was his um, Republican opponent later on that, you know, tried to use that, but they really built on Hillary Clinton's, um, you know, uh, initial smears to try to put Obama down. Instead of Obama saying, so what if I'm, so what, even if I was Muslim, of course he tried to, distance himself from his father's faith. Yeah, his father was Muslim. His mother was Christian. He was raised by his mother's family. So definitely he is a Christian, but, uh, and he spent time in, um, was it Indonesia or, yeah, Indonesia. Um, I think under a stepfather who was also Muslim. So he knows, but he was trying to distance himself uh, from that. But I remember at that time, um, a pro-Israel group passed out a just distributed a um, an anti-Muslim film or documentary called Obsession, and I think they distributed millions of copies, especially in swing states, especially in Florida. This uh, CD, when you know, you remember when people watched? Uh, I meant DVD. When people watched films on DVD, and um, they distributed these, I think. It, it ended up costing something like eighteen or twenty million dollars. I don't remember exactly, but it was in the millions the cost of this campaign. And some anonymous group, right before like you know the October surprise that this video started showing up, this DVD in all these mailboxes across the state and other swing states to try to tilt the election away from Obama. And uh, the film is called Obsession, and it's a very bad film. Again propaganda to try to paint that the Muslims are evil and it's uh, America, Europe and Israel are fighting, you know, this is that somehow Islam is the new communism and it's the biggest threat to the world. Um, 20 years later, how is that happening? How is that going? It's not Islam. Islam is a religion. Muslims are not invading other countries. What Muslim country has invaded any other place in the past 20 years? It's Russia that's doing the invading. It's the United States that's doing invading and occupation and doing the bombings. Um, 9-11 was a horrific, tragic attack, but it wasn't done because of Muslims. And in fact, Muslims died on that day. Um, uh, Muslims were equally attacked. Americans who happened to be Muslims were equally attacked just like everybody else. And what's unfortunate is that people, especially politicians, will misuse that tragic event to go after Muslims. And um, we're still trying to recover from it. But 
history has shown um, that that um, obviously the response to 9/11 was not the correct response because we live in a less safe world today. Going, you know, and invading Afghanistan and then also Iraq. What has that accomplished? Afghanistan is now back in the hands of the Taliban, just as it was before 9/11. So, what did you actually accomplish in spending, you know, trillions of dollars on these endless wars that accomplished nothing? In fact, just created more terrorists. And then going after in Iraq and then going there and doing uh, disrupting. Yeah, Saddam Hussein was an evil guy. He's a bad guy. He should not have been in power, but it's not the United States' job to remove him from power. It's definitely not the United States' job to take over the country and install a new government. And one of the biggest mistakes that the U.S. did under George W. Bush was to get rid of the entire military and the police force and everyone and send them home and saying you have no future in the future of Iraq and tried to build a whole new army, new infrastructure. What do you think all those soldiers that were in the army and the police did when you sent them all home and not collected their weapons? They turned into the insurgency. And then they started using you know, some sort of uh, religious rhetoric to gain legitimacy. But they were fighting back and they were fighting against the U.S. Not because it's because of you know religious you know fanatics. They were doing it because America was occupying them, and they were fighting. And you know, there's a power vacuum, and they want to be back in power. They disguised that with religious rhetoric to have legitimacy to be seen as some sort of legitimate you know player. And um, they had you know. People believed it. People were attracted to that narrative because they saw that the U.S. was killing other Iraqis. And, that you know, why is the United States there to begin with? And I remember on this show, because our show was here in 2003, and we said, this is a bad war. Don't do it. It's going to create a less safe world. It's going to disrupt the country. Um, so, yeah, it's a less safe world. Our phone number is 813-239-9663. Um, somebody wrote in uh, on, on email saying, not to mention a lot of terrorists are financed and sponsored by the West. Um, I don't have any specific examples. I've heard this before, but um, please send me some links so I can reference that. Thanks so much um, for sending that in. Uh, somebody sent me in a message. Ziggy writes, how do you feel about Muslim theocracies such as Iran and Afghanistan suppressing women's rights, jailing and sentencing to death sympathy protesters such as soccer players? What can Muslims and free speech democracies do to help suppressed women in Muslim, Muslim theocracies? They should speak out, use their voice. Of course, What's happening in, in Iran and uh, Afghanistan against women's rights is uh, horrific. It's bad. And um, well, women should have the right to education and have equal rights. Islam doesn't say anything about women not having equal rights. Um, so whatever they're doing, they're doing for other reasons, um, especially in Iran and in Afghanistan. 
the Afghanistan situation, I, I think, is a little bit more. Uh, the United States has a role uh, and is is somewhat responsible for what's happening in Afghanistan. They held that country for twenty years. It was under their watch. They did not improve things. Sure, some there were some schools that were open, but there were a lot of there were a lot of problems, a lot of corruption. All that money that was spent there just went to the people at the top, and they stole it and they took off with it. They didn't build. They had twenty years to build a stronger infrastructure. They failed, and it was all with taxpayer money. Uh, were women's lives improved? Maybe on the surface. But I, you can find many reports that even under while the U.S. was in charge there, women's rights were still violated um, in other ways. Right now, it's because of education, and uh, they don't have the right to education, which uh, definitely needs to be changed. But the society there, they they don't even have enough money to to eat. So when you start talking about women's rights in very poor countries or countries that are under a blockade or under a siege they say well we don't have we can't even we don't have any money we don't have food we don't have medicine um, that's important so it can be just selective it has to be all rights for you know and it has to be a comprehensive society so this was a big thing during the initial invasion hey the women's uh, are are being you know suppressed in Afghanistan you know we got to go there especially George Bush's um, W. Bush's wife, what was her name? Barbara Bush, or was that is that senior? I don't know. My memory's uh, I'm I'm losing my memory today for some reason. But um, the first lady at the time was campaigning about how important the rights of women's are. Since when do the Republicans, you know, necessarily care so much? They're not known as the you know, champions of women's rights. Women's rights can't just be used conveniently as a tool to go to war. Oh, we're going to go there and bomb people because of women's rights. Um, to help women's rights, I think it requires a lot of education, investment in education, investment in programs, uplifting people, improving the lives. And it's going to evolve over time. And it has to be organic. It can't be forced on people. They'd have to do it because they believe in it. It can't just be at you know, at the um, because somebody's holding a gun to your head. Give women the right. Give women. Give the women in your society rights. Otherwise, we're gonna bomb you. Um, that's not gonna help. So women had to go to war with men here in this country. It wasn't that long ago that women had no rights. Um, but if you're looking from a Muslim perspective, just from Islamic theological perspective, I'm not saying what's practiced now in some of these countries, Islam actually was revolutionary when it came to, came to women's rights compared to, you know, text to text comparison. Muslim, uh, Islam gave Muslim women way more rights for centuries before Western societies or Christianity did. Women had the right to own property. Women had the right to um, participate in society. They would have businesses. Uh, women uh, had the right to divorce, to marriage, to inheritance. Women in Western societies had none of that. They couldn't even inherit things for the most part. They were just the property of men. Women in Muslim worlds, until today, they don't even take, they don't have to take, or it's not the practice to take a man's last name in the Muslim world because.
that's a Western practice that basically once you get married, you're the property of the man. Um, this is the history of Western societies when it comes to women's rights. Things are improving now. Women have to go to war to get those rights um, in this country and you know demand the right to vote and, and so many other things. Of course, there's still a gap uh, now and gender relations in between you know men and women are are still not uh, optimal in this society. So domestic violence and abuse against women at an all-time high, uh, it happens yeah, even here. But they don't blame religion for it when it happens here. But somehow they blame Islam, or at least the media, or the perception out there that Islam is responsible for the suppression of women. No, Islam is not. It's men that are responsible who are acting outside of the faith whether it's in this country or in any country. Um, I'm um, ending, you know, coming to the end of the show. I'm surprised I was able to talk so long. Um, but thank you for your questions and your calls. Uh, you can email us afterwards at truetalk at WMNF.org. You can also send a message to DJ at WMNF, or you can send a text to 813-433-0885. Thank you, um, yeah, are there any final announcements? There is a charity for uh, Palestine that's coming up called the uh, it's a Palestine Charity Gala that's happening a week from tomorrow. So Friday, January 27th, Friday, January 27th, Charity Gala that I will uh, be speaking at. And it's for Palestine, providing water infrastructure and sanitation. Because actually, and somebody asked that before, how can you actually... Does Israel allow for charities to do work in Palestine? Well, very limited scope, you know, for water, for sanitation, that type of thing, but uh, very few other projects for medical devices. Certain things are allowed, uh, others are not. So this is going to be um, Friday, January 27th. If a well-known speaker is going to be there, Dr. Yasser Qadi, if you are interested in attending, go to mausa.org mausa.org forward slash events. Um, you can also email us at truetalk at WMNF if you want to get more information about that. And um, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, NPR News is next. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the weather. Um, if you know any Muslims, try to say assalamu alaikum to them. Or maybe just uh, have coffee with them and learn more about you know who they are, what their culture is. I think that's one of the things to counter these stereotypes is to actually break bread with each other, have coffee, talk, invite each other over because, you know, polls show and surveys show that the more you actually, more people you know from other cultures, the less biased we're going to be. And that's true also for Muslims. So um, we're only about one to 2% of the society and um, we need a lot of help. WMNF Tampa, NPR News is next. Have a great weekend. This is True Talk on WMNF.